Live from the Momo Pizzeria and Ristorante Studios at 44th and O. Morning radio for the entire capital city. This is LNK Today with Jack and Friends on the Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. All right, welcome back. Glad to have you with us. 29 degrees in the capital city. Uh, we got John Bishop coming up in about 25 minutes to talk some uh, Husker sports and beyond, some Lincoln issues as well. Uh, U.S. Center events, SAS. His last day, by the way, is January 8th, so technically he's still a U.S. Senator at the beginning of this session uh, until January 8th, and that will be when he steps down, so he's still U.S. Senator Ben Sass uh, before he takes over the job at Florida. Um, and then Jim Pillen obviously will select Sass's replacement. Uh, I think we would all be shocked if it wasn't Pete Ricketts taking that spot at this point. Um, and, and perhaps we hear something from... Jim Pillen is getting inaugurated today, uh, it, uh, very soon on that. So uh, he becomes clear about what sort of the plan for transition is. So I wouldn't be surprised if we get news on that sooner rather than later. Uh, Sass had a chance yesterday to give a farewell speech and we'll talk about what some of what he had to say. Um, uh, 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 there was, you know, there was the part, part that Mark kept playing in the news where he talked about winning elections and uh, every county in the state significantly winning elections and then being the most censured politician in, in the state of Nebraska. Uh, talked a lo- lot about kind of the problems in American politics that exist right now, in his view at least, uh, when it comes to uh, elected officials doing political grandstanding, going on, you know, kind of going to, I'm, I'm paraphrasing a bit, but going to echo chamber media sources um, instead of governing. Um, talked talked about a whole a whole lot of that stuff, just kind of about uh, political zealots. Uh, and and uh, he's, he's kind of been banging that drum a lot during, uh, especially the last portion of his tenure here. And, and I do kind of wonder, you know, and I wonder about his decision to leave too, right? Like, I, I get that Florida is, and, 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 and I don't think any of us would have been super surprised if he had ended up eventually in academia because he had a background in that. Um, but to cut your U.S. Senate term short to go do that, I, I, it feels like, at least for me, I'll be curious what he says. It feels like it would take both a great opportunity and maybe something that you're, you're ready to take a break from as well. So, uh, he's, uh, just getting hooked up with us right now on the Rickstein Recognition Hotline. Um, well, Senator, no, uh, nothing like starting a new year with like a massive, massive transition for, I suppose, you and your family, huh? Uh, Nebraska is the best place in the world, like 334 days a year, but February 2nd might be one day to be away. <laughs> yeah, probably, 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 uh, thanks. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us today. Um, you, Thank you. I, I guess, I, I, I guess first off, uh, just, I, I think a lot of Nebraskans are, you know, you hear somebody makes a decision to step down as a Senator that you might've voted for and, and you're kind of wondering, okay, what, you know, I, we understand there's a, uh, an opportunity that's great ahead of you. I don't, I don't think anybody's, you know, surprised that you're interested in going into, into academia, but why make the decision now tell us just a a little bit of of wrestling with that decision and making that decision yeah you bet so a couple things first of all nebraskans have known since you know my family and i started living off a campaign bus in summer fall of 2013 uh so 
nine and a half years ago um, that we absolutely were not going to make Washington D.C. our lives, and I don't I don't think this model of people coming to D.C. and viewing it as the place where they find their community um, is very healthy. The founders surely didn't want it. It's supposed to be a servant community that tries to maintain a framework for liberty, but thinks that the places where people are actually, you know, coaching Little League and, and raising a family and, and worshiping are the centers of the world. Um, so I've never planned to stay in D.C. Um, that said, I wasn't looking to go now. So there's more pull variables than push about my change. Um, I definitely worry about the future of work, the future of war, the First Amendment stuff. You know, I've talked about lots and lots of times. Um, and in my current day calling for another week, um, I get to do a lot on the future of war. My intel community life and the cyber solarium that we built, et cetera, have been really rewarding. But there's very little that we get to do about the disrupted nature of work. I sincerely believe that five and eight and ten years from now, we're never going to have people who get to work lifelong in any one, not just firm, but any one industry um, for their whole life. AI is going to radically disrupt and shorten the length of jobs we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and people are going to have to be able to get trained again and again and again and again. And so I've, I've talked constantly, I mean, to bore the crap out of many people, uh, including like a verse event. Um, I, I don't think we have the right institution serving 15 to 35 year olds for a world where there's not going to be lifelong work. So I want lots of new institutions for coming of age and for college and for early job transition and training and for getting disrupted out of a job at 30, 35, 40. And so I've thought that what I might end up doing in 10 or 15 years was running a, you know, private equity fund of technology companies that try to disrupt and build the new hybrid institutions uh, for the future about how people go from 15 to 20 to 25 to 30 years old. But I didn't think I was going to go back to traditional higher ed at all. And what's unique about Florida and the way they pursued me is that the University of Florida is the most important institution in the fastest growing economy in the state. And there aren't enough institutions in Florida. So the University of Florida is two things to me, and I'll pull up here. But it's one university that's already really excellent at a ton of stuff. And Gainesville is booming. They had 680 new professors in August. And I think second most in the country is about one third that. But the more interesting thing to me is all the new institutions we're going to build in South Florida as well. So there's an opportunity to have kind of a platform for a lot of the disruption that higher ed and job training need. And so that was an opportunity that was just too good to pass up for somebody who was never going to stand politics forever. Yesterday in your farewell address, you talked about some of the, the I mean, the things I think that, that bother you. I would say they bother me too um, about politics and um, when it, and as it stands now when elected officials are doing more grandstanding than governing and, um, you know, do going, you know, spending, spending time going on me, in media bubbles and, and just over overzealousness and and you referred to what's going on in the house right now as well like I, I guess my question is like how does any of that change I, I, I get it and I I'm a, I agree with you on all those things yet the people who don't believe those things are the ones that are getting elected in landslides it seems like so I there's a part of me that says that wonders hey do you see what's going on in the direction this is going and saying look I'm not fixing this this is not going the way that I want it to and I'm getting out how does that get better those things specifically you were referring to yesterday yeah, yeah, great, great question. I think there are like three or four different questions embedded in there, but I just want to push back on the idea that um, I, I don't think that your, your quote up there was something about, I don't think this is going the way I want, so I want to get out. That's not what's happening here. I remain totally optimistic about America. The way I think about it is three cheers for America, two cheers for the Senate as it was intended to be, 
one cheer becoming about a half a cheer uh, for how the Senate functions right now and zero cheers for the stupidity of tribal politics. Mm. But there's a lot to be optimistic about. Like it, it, the, the stuff that's happening from the biggest weirdos in politics, they don't actually have any audience. And so the problem is when we went, I'm the son of a coach, as you know, when we went from three to four channels, it was great because it meant there was an extra football game we got to watch on Saturday. Senator Bet, oh, go ahead. We, go ahead, finish that thought. But when we went from 1,000 to 1,500 to 2,000 channels, um, yeah, you get to watch more games, but it means that you don't watch any games in common with other people. And so what's really weird now is that the channels, the, the sort of uh, politically addicted, very online Twitter people, and even the cable news screaming at night, they don't have any audience. The median nighttime Fox News viewer is a 78-year-old rural white male watching alone who's really pissed. And there aren't very many of them. But there, when you add up all of Fox, MSNBC, and CNN's nighttime audiences, they basically never hit 2% of the American public. But the political, the politicians, the supply side, perform for those people in narrow but deep channels. And I think there's lots of optimism on the horizon. My party, sadly, got shellacked 60 days ago at a time when we should have picked up a ton of seats. And it's because we ran performative idiots. Like, the, the reason we didn't win is even though Americans wanted generic Republicans to win elections, it's because we ran weirdos. And so I actually think there's a lot of opportunity that the public is way ahead of the supply side of politics right mm, now. Interesting. Senator Ben Sass uh, joining us right now. Um, but what do you what do you make of the fact that you won elections like you did in Nebraska? The first one, obviously, uh, I think. But but then the the second one in the primary, and you won. Yet, you, as you pointed out yesterday, also the most censured maybe of any Nebraska politician of all time. What does that like tension when you look back on this mean to you? I mean, I, I, I'm the the lutero calvinist deep in my soul isn't good at uh at talking about myself so please don't hear this as self-serving it's it's a sign that there's some healthy stuff going on i'm by far the highest vote getter in the history of nebraska i won all 93 counties both times um in a place where except for don bacon republicans don't typically win omaha i won by a lot um and I also am the most censured person in the history of the state. And I think those things are highly related, which is the really loud, angry 124 people, because that's about what we're talking about, who dominate party politics meetings and who literally two years ago were willing to go to suburban, to strip mall uh, comfort inns during the Super Bowl and pass resolutions in different counties nine to four censuring me for admitting that trying to like disrupt a meeting of the Congress and lie about a stolen election and, uh, and threaten to hang my pence was a bad idea. The people who were pissed about that, they get the most attention because they scream the loudest, but they're the least representative. The, the middle of the electorate, and I mean from people pretty dang far right to center left, all think performative politics is a bad idea. They're like, no, politics are like eating your vegetables. Give me a little bit of spinach because it's the right thing to do. But then can we be done with this in 20 or 30 minutes, two or three times a week? Because I got sports to watch and I got kids to raise. And that stuff's far more important than performative politics as infotainment. Yeah. Well, let me tell you, as a a radio host that is... uh 
been trying to, for what, 16, 17 years, that is trying not to be, you know, the, the, the trying to be somebody that appeals to everybody in the city, in a 50-50 divided city, um, yeah. and, and trying not to, and, and going on the theory that I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear about this divisive stuff constantly. It's still an uphill battle, though, for me. I mean, it really yeah. is. It, it, I mean, that's the media landscape right now. And I am like, like, uh, I'm weird. I am super weird in this industry, to be and, honest. And, so. and yeah, I mean, it, weird in a world where there are so many channels that people can go narrow and deep right. as opposed to generalists. But, I mean, not to pretend I understand exactly the weirdness of how you die a thousand deaths in every Husker basketball game, mm-hmm. but I'm as addicted to to football as you are to basketball. But let's be honest, the huge part of why regular people still like you is because even if they're pissed at your politics from the right or the left, they know you're a real guy who's broadcasting crap on the side of your garage for the neighborhood. And that's who most people actually want. And they wish there were fewer people like either Marjorie Taylor Greene or AOC dominating national political conversation. There have always been crazy people. There have always been angry people. What's new is that 20 years ago, we didn't think we had to pretend that they were the most important voices because they yelled the loudest. But now in an era of social media, they have bigger tools. And so we've decided to pretend that they're normal and representative. We need actual normal people to come back with one or one and a half cheers for politics. I hope you're right. I hope you're right about, you know, the public kind of leading on this. I, I, I really do. Um, I know you're, 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 you're a smart guy, but I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Like how, what did you learn? Like how, were the perceptions of the Senate or the job or anything that changed or of politics or anything? Like what was the biggest thing that you come out of different than you did going into the Senate? Well, um, first of all, I'm incredibly grateful to Nebraskans to give me the opportunity to have represented uh, y'all and us for eight years and a month. Um, And the work I got to do on the Senate Intelligence Committee is some of the most rewarding professional work I've ever done. The Intel Committee works incredibly well because we don't have cameras, so nobody acts like an idiot. Um, A, senators faking it that they know everything all the time is such crap. Um, And so being in an environment where people admit that you don't know everything and you have to learn. And Paul Nakasone, the four-star army general that runs the NSA, or Bill Burns, the CIA director, these are good, freedom-loving, hard-working, patriotic Americans, um, but they're running really big, complicated organizations. And so getting to help steward that and functionally be the board of it is pretty great. The CIA's mission you know, for all the Cold War uh, was to save Americans from you know, nuclear conflict with expansionistic, totalitarian uh, Soviets. Um, but then after that, until 9-11, there wasn't really a purpose for the CIA. And so it found a purpose in countering jihadism. But 20 years later, it's obvious that we have a much, much bigger threat in the expansionistic militant CCP. And so helping change that trajectory um, has been super rewarding. And so most of my learning has been about the technology issues around the future of asymmetric warfare, cyber, etc. But I think the most... Uh, you know, significant but somewhat dispiriting um, civic learning is just the stuff we've been talking about, about the challenges of small-R Republican governance in an era where 
Tocquevillian localism is really what most Americans believe. They might not talk about it as nerdy as I do, but I think they believe roughly the same stuff about... <laughs> I promise they don't, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> that you'd be amazed how many Tocquevillian nerds write my office. I don't know. I don't from, believe uh, it. From Shadron. A lot of guys from Shadron are really into Alexis wow. Tocqueville. I have no comment. Uh, I have no comment. <laughs> but what's, what's problematic is we have a, we're going to live in a ubiquitous information age for a long time, and humans need to make sense of data. And when we have way, way, way too much data, which is functionally what the Internet gives all of us, we can know every individual data point or fact, but people need to construct it into a worldview. I didn't really expect that conspiracy theory nuttiness could get, gather quite as much support as it yeah. does so quickly. Like, yeah. you know, the, the Pizzagate stuff, um, it's pretty amazing how many people I supposedly assassinated in 1963, yeah. uh, which was, you know, a decade before I was alive. And yet we, we get this stuff like pretty constantly. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't, I didn't expect that, that this sort of need to make sense of data in a world where people feel less and less connection to their neighbors would lead quite as many uh, folks to be susceptible to online worldview making in ways that are just kind of fanciful. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't imagine. Well, I can a little bit. Um, uh, Senator Bensis, by the way, I'm now uh, required every time I talk to you or see you from going forward, at least from the 8th on, there's two numbers I'm going to say to you every time. Uh, yeah, six, six, 6224. 62, uh, I, I was at the game, brother. Uh, I, uh, I have a giant poster of that in my uh, office at home, and I got to figure out exactly how I display that going forward. I think I'll take it with me to my new office, but I'll keep it in a closet. Yeah, bad choice. Yeah, keep, do I not have, let I that. Have, leave it. Out, leave it somewhere I've, else. <laughs> I've told Scott, Scott Strickland, who's our AD at Florida. Um, there are two things that get inspired immediately, and that's if he schedules Nebraska football and volleyball. In most things in life, I could deal with a little bit of split loyalty, but football and volleyball, Nebraska right. and the Gators are never playing. I wondered how you were going to handle that. All right, well, I'll check up a little bit later and see how you're doing. Senator, thanks for the time. Thanks, I appreciate it. We'll talk to you again soon, all right? Have a good day. There you go. Still U.S. Senator. For four more days, Ben's asked.